Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 29, Homesteading and You, Part 2. My name is Jeremy, and as always, I will be your host. Today, we discuss the 2023 growing season and the lessons we learned throughout the year. Today, I'm joined by Caleb, who is the founder of Prevail Armament, an avid Second Amendment enthusiast, proud prepper, and like many of us, is on his homesteading journey. So, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward yeah. Strength in numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Welcome back to the podcast, everybody, for another episode on homesteading. And Caleb, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. I've been listening to the podcast for a long time, and I'm stoked to be on here with you. Hell yeah. We've been talking about, you know, homesteading and gardening stuff offline and in the DMs and whatnot for well over a year now. And, you know, I had a, a sad paramedic on towards the beginning of the podcast. And now that we're at the end of another harvest season, you know, I want to get some more content out. So, for those that don't really know you um, or, you know, your various Instagram pages, if you want, go ahead and give yourself a little introduction. Yeah. So my name's Caleb. I run uh, my main page is Caleb Prevail Armament. And then my uh, business page is Prevail Armament on Instagram. Um, I basically just document my adventures in preparedness and uh, self-sufficiency. Um, I've been doing stuff in the firearm space, self-defense, uh, homesteading, self-sufficiency, the whole nine for a while now in various different, uh, I guess areas. And the last two years really jumped into it full force and have been having a ton of fun getting to know everybody in the community online. So that's how I came across your podcast. And um, I'm just glad to be able to be on here and be able to talk about homesteading. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something easier said than done. And now that you're a little bit into it, you know, I mean, homesteading takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. I wouldn't say it's necessarily something that is hard to physically do or even figure out, but it's a big time commitment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think some people jump into it thinking it's going to be kind of like this self operating type of endeavor. And it doesn't really work that way. Like there's a lot of time and energy that goes into it. And on top of that, like you just, you lose some of the ability to be able to just kind of do what you want. Like you have to be able to have uh, someone there to take care of your animals, feed them, water them, mm-hmm. uh, take care of your garden during gardening season. And it's not like you can just go out having adventures for weeks at a time without sure. you know, taking care of the stuff at home. And for a little bit of context for everyone listening to the podcast, when we use the term homesteading today or, you know, we're going to be talking more in like the somewhat self-reliant and self-sustainable aspect. We're not going to be talking about you know, the type of setting where you just have like a garden bed or two, or maybe you have like five or six chickens. We're going to be talking in reference to more of like, I am purposefully trying to grow 
an excessive amount of food so I can preserve it for, you know, months or a year to come. You know, you're, you're trying to really give yourself food. Just to provide a little bit of context because, you know, you can scale down your operation much more and it would be less, much less time demanding. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's kind of why I started posting about it so much um, and why my wife, she has her page, which is One Acre Homemaking, and she gets into this stuff a lot more than me. So mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll probably get to some parts where uh, I'll not be able to answer some questions very well. I'll have to defer to her uh, in a future. Hmm. Would you say that you were more into the homesteading journey in the beginning or was she? In the beginning? Yeah. Oh, man. So it's actually kind of crazy. Um, we both grew up in kind of an agricultural environment. Mm-hmm. We have a real small town here. Um, people joke about how our county has more cows than people. And it's our our public school had ag classes and, you know, small engines and tractor classes and all this stuff. Um, and we have a long family history of that type of stuff as well. So my wife's from a, uh, dairy farm family and I come from more of like the homesteading side, hobby farms. My grandpa sold farm equipment and barns for his whole career. So when we first got together, this was like the last thing on our to-do list. Like we were very uninterested in it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't remember who was kind of more gung ho at first. It was like a few years ago. Um, everything was going wild with 2020 and it was kind of just like, a an avalanche of like one thing after another leading to being like, eventually we should be more self-sufficient or we should at least have a better idea of what we're consuming. And, um, I think we're both into it pretty evenly, just kind of in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, at least for me in the beginning, like when me and my fiance started dating, I was still in my apartment after I got out of the Marine Corps. I wasn't even in my house yet. And, you know, I, I was very upfront. Like in the beginning, I was like, my plan is to move to the woods, buy a shit ton of chickens. Uh, and build as many garden beds as I can, and then that is my goal. And she was like, "Oh yeah, you know, it's cute and whatever." Uh, and now here we are, and she's got like farm chores to do at night when I'm at the firehouse and whatnot. And she's trying to keep up <laughs> and stuff, but she's supportive, and, and I love that for her. Um, so it sounds like you're definitely more into it. Oh, I'm definitely more into it. Um, we both got a lot going on in life right now, so we're still kind of you know setting that foundation before we start our family. But, you know, I'm definitely more into it. I'm the one that's like, hey, I know we have 10 hours of canning to do today, but we just got to suck it up and do it. Like, where she's like, yeah, oh, I don't know if I want to do this today or can we do it another day? And I'm like, nope, it's getting done today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, with our whole situation, my wife handles a lot more of the food preservation. And um, I definitely am not a good cook. So as far as that goes, like she handles that. I know you like doing bread. I um, love she, cooking all around. <laughs> she is super into bread. And uh, actually, we just hit a year that we haven't bought any bread products from the store. She's made it all. That's awesome. Um, so oh, 
that was one of our goals initially getting into this. Um, and it's been pretty cool to see that come to fruition, but yeah, I'm not great at that sort of thing. And, uh, she's a stay at home mom now. So she has a little bit more of the time in the kitchen to be able to do the preservation. Mm-hmm. And she is a legend. I can't say enough good things about her because if I was carrying around a five month baby, I would probably not be doing as much food preservation <laughs> as she has been. Yeah. This, this time of year is definitely, uh, you know, really demanding, you know, for those of you guys that have never, you know, canned and done the preservation side of your, of the harvest, um, from, you know, of a, a much larger perspective, like you're canning many, many dozens of cans of different foods and whatnot. Uh, it is a, it is a task. There's a lot, it's not as simple as just take it from the garden, rinse it off, put it in a can and you're done. I mean, there's a lot of prep work that goes into canning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you kind of hit on why you guys started homesteading. So, you know, just as a general thought up front, you know, what is, what has been one of your favorite, what's probably been your favorite thing about homesteading so far? If you had to pick one thing, what's been your big, big favorite? Oh, geez. Um, my favorite thing, are we talking like, um, cause I kind of look at things from more of a philosophical angle when it comes to this stuff. Sure. Uh, but if- are you talking more like, However you want to phrase it, however (laughs) you specifically view that question. Okay. All right. So, um, another part of the reason that I wanted to get into this and, uh, I was more into the chicken side of things. My wife did not want chickens. Um, (laughs) so I surprised her with some chickens and we kind of got rolling with that. And for me, I was on this kick and I, it's become more of my worldview now of just um, trying to check off as many boxes as possible with one activity. Mm-hmm. So with everything that happened in 2020 and with having kids and having a busy life and uh, a job with a decent amount of hours and stuff like that, I started realizing that my time was pretty um there was a lot of demand on my time. I didn't have a ton of time. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to choose to spend time on things that accomplished a lot at once. And like, I was pretty unhappy with the amount of time I was spending on screens and just watching Netflix and playing video games and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, that checks off like one box of like entertainment slash, you know, relaxation. And I realized, hey, if I can be entertained by raising chickens, then I'm also checking off the box of like being more self-sufficient and teaching my kids a skill and um, learning myself, learning a skill of taking care of these animals and everything that's involved with it. So I think for me, my favorite part of it has been being able to go to bed at night and feel like I maximized my time in a Mm -hmm. day in a week and being like knowing that that time was used efficiently yeah there's definitely a there's definitely a lot of that part to it i would say i don't know mine's kind of a two-part answer i I think it's something we should do whether you look at it from a philosophical stance or just a human nature stance I, i think this is something we're supposed to do I don't think we're supposed to be fully dependent on grocery stores and food chain restaurants and all that kind of stuff. 
I think it is quite literally natural to us to to partake in, in this journey and this it's just a way of life. It's just it's as much as, you know, drinking water every day and taking care of yourself hygiene wise and sleeping when it's dark outside. And I, I just think it's it's supposed to be natural. Um, yeah. But from a less serious perspective, I think my favorite thing is just how much healthier meals seem. Like for years now, I've always oh. eaten fairly healthy. I'd say a good 80 percent good, fifteen to twenty percent bad on a yearly basis kind of diet. You know, I gym regularly. Uh, you know, I eat healthy. I make sure I get vitamins and fruits and vegetables and high protein and all that kind of stuff. But ever since we've started the homestead and and had the garden in such a big effect, the foods that we've prepared have just been so much better. I mean, the salsa I make here at home just tastes fresher and not as heavy as like store-bought canned salsa um you know these yeah, new these can. new uh you know sauce bags i got this year uh, i've been making this year with the cherry tomatoes those have been delicious you know i haven't bought ground beef from the store in over a year we've been eating venison that we've killed and processed on here on the homestead for over a year and you know it just it's better i you know it really what mess what what messes with you know my own physical health or gut health or anything is when I break from eating my normal habits here at home, and I eat at the firehouse with everybody else. That's that's what breaks right, things. Right, right. Here at home, you know, I feel better. It tastes better. Yeah, absolutely. And there's part of me that wonders if there's a little bit of that that's like psychosomatic of being like. I know that I worked so hard for these vegetables and it's like, I'm finally enjoying them. And it's like, I don't know if it's actually my taste buds telling my brain that this tastes so good or just like the satisfaction of knowing that we did it. Mm -hmm. But no, I definitely agree with that. Um, home, homegrown food definitely tastes so much better. Um, it's, I mean, it's even better for you as far as nutrients, density and everything goes generally. And, uh, as far as the philosophical side of things goes, I mean, you know, I'm pretty upfront with my religious and philosophical beliefs on my page. It's a big part of what I do. And uh, I would say that it's natural for us to do this because it's what we were designed to do. You know, man's original intent was to take care of nature and animals. And um, there's definitely a spiritual connection, I think, to um to God, to reality that, um, happens when you're in nature and when you're tending mm -hmm. for it. Uh, I would, I would definitely, I would definitely agree to that. Um, I've said it in the past before and I, I don't want to get down the religious path, uh, you know, but I, I've always said that like, I feel closest to the creator and whatnot and just kind of the higher powers to be when I'm in nature. That's, that's where I feel the most connection. Um, I think there's something to be said with that, but we've talked about the good. Now, what about the bad? What is, what's been your least favorite thing about oh, homesteading? Least favorite? Mm -hmm. Probably cleaning out chicken coops <laughs> or, uh, I don't know. Anything to do with fecal matter is not super fun. Um, but no prop and more seriously, um, I don't like to fail at stuff and gardening and homesteading definitely has a learning curve and you're definitely going to fail at things. Sometimes 
because it's something you did wrong, but also sometimes because it's just certain aspects are out of your control. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can be super frustrating, especially if you have a big plan in mind that you're like committed to. 100%. I, I was, as soon as we started talking, I was like, that that's definitely my number one thing is, is failing at a project, especially when you put so much time into it. You did the math, you did the planning, you did the measurements, and you're like, all right, this is supposed to work. And then like halfway through whatever project it is, whether it's growing something new or you're, you built something or whatever it is, and you're like, shit, this, this didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, or I don't like yeah. the result of this. Like for yeah. me this year, specifically my corn failed. I expanded my cornfield uh, quite significantly. And I had a, a pretty good harvest last year um, of just normal sweet corn. I did a no-till with some organic compost uh, over top of some grass barrier, and it went really well. So this year I tried multiplying the cornfield slash corn bed by probably five or six times, um, but didn't add the same amount of organic compost, and the tilling was kind of, you know, half-assed per se. Uh, And then my corn output was nowhere near as successful, and I was, like, really disappointed. I was like, damn. Yeah, that's a huge bummer. We did not do great with corn this year. Um, either. I mean, actually our garden overall did not do awesome this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized that like a moron, I didn't, um, rotate my crops at all. So I ended up having corn right where it was last year. And I don't know how I overlooked that, but that's what happened. And, uh, it just, my, any of, none of my vined plants did really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, actually most of them failed completely. And then my corn did okay, but it was just lagging way behind the rest of the corn in the area. Yeah. See, I had pumpkin and watermelon in the same exact field or plot as the corn, the corn field that was expanded. And my pumpkin and watermelon did, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really well. My watermelons were a little small, uh, a little underwhelming, but my pumpkins did phenomenal. You know, I, I think a big thing about it is, and I've seen it with hay production this year, talking to a lot of local people and just talking online with our folks is just, we had a really, really dry summer. I mean, we had a dry summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, most of the people around here, at least here in Kentucky, have said that their, you know, their hay fields were probably down anywhere from 30 to 50% this year out of their normal, their normal yield. That's insane. 30 to 50%. Mm-hmm. There's a guy right That's up the road from me that said he normally does anywhere from about 900 to 1,000 bales, uh, uh, square bales for himself for the year. And that sustains his horses and whatnot for the for the winter and the spring and whatnot. And when I talked to him right at the beginning of September, maybe middle of September, um, he said that they were probably only on track to get about 450 bales this year. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I mean, especially coming off of all the supply chain shortages and everything, people were short on corn last year mm-hmm. or not corn short on hay and uh, straw and everything last year. And now having a low year after that, there's going to be some hurting people. Yeah, and we had a we had, it feels like we had a very wet spring more so than the year previous, but then I'd say about mid-July the dryness hit and then we didn't really get any considerable rain and probably until almost the end of September. And we got about a week or so of rain and then it dried up all October again. 
you know, I, my, I, I would definitely say that my garden harvest yield kind of dropped off towards the end because I just couldn't keep up with watering it after it had just been dry for so long. Yeah. Um, especially once I started paramedic school and then, you know, schedule started really getting more crammed. It's like I was kind of like, you know, not watering as thoroughly maybe as I should, especially like I got to run water on the quad to the garden. So I have to make multiple trips. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. It's not like uh, it's 50 feet from my house and I just run a garden hose. No, I'm several hundred feet away uphill as well on top of that. So, um, you should get just like a big water reservoir and fill it up and then just trailer it up there. I, I've thought about, I, I have, I have considered doing something like that. Um, but this property I'm on right now is really only a short term idea. So now I'm yeah, at the point where I'm trying not to invest too much more into it and just riding out where I'm yeah. at. Um, We're in the same. I didn't end up setting up my rain barrels this year like I like I did the year prior, um, because I in the spring I told myself I was going to redo the collection system, specifically like the downspouts and everything, and I tore the old ones out, um, and then just you know spring projects never got around to putting the new ones in. But it's I guess it's really doesn't matter that I didn't because shit we went multiple times with just multiple weeks without any rain. The barrels would have been empty anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we were pretty dry there for a little while. We especially, I think one of our biggest mistakes was right at the beginning of the season when we started to transplant our uh, starters out into the garden. We had like a week and a half of just pretty hot temperatures for up here and like zero cloud coverage and uh, super dry. So it was just baking everything. And me trying to be on top of everything was thinking that I wanted to get everything out into the garden in time because I didn't want to be planting late. Mm -hmm. And I think most of our plants suffered really badly because I got it out, got them all out there in that heat and tried to keep them watered. But like you were saying, I don't think I watered them nearly enough. And plants can recover, but they, I just don't think they, I think if I had waited, the extra week and a half and put them out there when it had cooled down and it was a, there was a little bit more, more, more moisture that uh, my harvest overall would have been so much better because they just wouldn't have been injured yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. I Did talked you? about it in the YouTube video. I just put up, you know, at the beginning of the week or last week, I think it was, um, I guess by the time this is released a little over a week ago. Um, but we had a we had a spring here where it was like it was really cold through all of April, much colder than normal, specifically the nighttime temperatures, and then May hit and the the heat jumped drastically. So the the transitionary period was also really weird this year. At least it was for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember too much about the specifics of the weather at the beginning, but I was going to ask you: Did you guys get much of the? Uh, like smog slash uh, fog, we, smoke, whatever we, from the Cal from the uh, Canada fires. We did, and it was now that I think back on it, it was really bad for a period of time where it was like multiple yeah. weeks. It just lingered, and I wonder yeah, if that it had weeks. anything to do with anything. Oh, I, I completely so everybody up here has been speculating that it did because specifically tomatoes up here uh -huh. 
everybody had a terrible year. A whole bunch of people got blight, and then the people who didn't get blight seemed like they just couldn't get their tomatoes to turn red. Mm -hmm. They all just stayed green and stayed on the plant, and we had like a tomato shortage up here. It was ridiculous. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder, I mean, we'll never know. We really won't because they'll never tell us the truth anyway, but I wonder if that did have any major effects on things and how it affected different regions differently. Because obviously all the grow zones are different, how they affect plants, what plants grow well in what regions, so on and so forth. Right. But I wonder if I wonder if it did have any effects on the year and if it will have any long-term effects. Yeah, I mean, you got to think if they're warning you to stay inside because the air quality is that bad, your plants probably aren't having a great time of it. Yeah. And then, I mean, UV rays are the name of the game when it comes to these plants. So mm-hmm. if it's blocking a considerable amount which some of those days it was like it it seemed like the same brightness outside as a really really cloudy day and it was just from all that smoke mm-hmm. at least yeah. up here i don't know if it got that bad down there but there was some days it was just like dreary depressing looking outside i'm sure new york probably had it worse than we did but even i remember at one point in time probably in like the early summer late spring you know, there was a period in time, a period of time where I was like, I was concerned I was going to lose all of my pepper and tomato plants because they were just, they just didn't look good. And I was watering yep. them daily still, but they just, they looked bad. Yep. Um, luckily, I had to bounce back and um, my bell peppers and whatnot didn't do the greatest this year. Had good cayenne pepper, but those are easy. Um, best boy tomatoes didn't have the greatest year. Romas went decent. Um, hey, I guess overall, yeah, I, my harvest was a little underwhelming compared to last year, uh, especially considering that I probably have the same amount of harvest, but I expanded probably by about 20%. Um, yeah, we're about in the same boat. We doubled our garden size. We went up to like almost 1,700 square feet, mm-hmm. and nice. um, we got probably – it was weird because it wasn't like even across the board. So we put in way more uh, peas and beans and we got a ton of peas and beans. Um, but we also put in way more tomatoes and we got probably less than we got last year of tomatoes. So, I mean, it was just hit or miss. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess... With all of that in mind, what would you say was the biggest lesson you learned from this year? Probably rotating crops and um, the aspect of getting the plants out there in a time that will help them with the transition, um, that will make the whole switch from inside to outside easier on them because... I think that was probably my biggest mistake was just basically abusing those plants, trying to throw them from nice temperate inside, you know, very low impact environment to just right out into the scorching summer. Sure. I would say my biggest lesson learned this year um, would probably be not to ignore my prep work. Uh, You know, two years ago or whatever that it was acceptable because I was you know I bought the house in May and I still got a good harvest year out of it and I went you know just balls to the wall but this year 
whether it was, I wouldn't say it was necessarily due to time more, but that's an example. Uh, really, it was more like financial restraint. Like after I expanded the garden, my the funds I had dedicated to expanding and developing more stuff really dried up. So there were some shortcuts I started taking, um, and it hurt me in the end, I think, uh, just a little bit. So I would say that's probably my biggest lesson learned is don't ignore the prep work. Do the prep work to the fullest extent, whether you have a time constraint or you have a financial constraint. Do what you can, but do it all the way. Yeah. What what kind of prep work are you thinking of? So like the, for example, expanding the cornfield this year. Um, I didn't, I didn't till it at the right time, nor did I till it to the extent that it needed to. But then again, okay. financial constraint, I didn't add more organic material to that cornfield. I just tilled up the little bit of organic compost I had in there from the year prior. And it was nowhere near enough considering the field expansion I made. So I think part of my corn problem, not all of it, but part of it was the poor field prep work and probably significantly a nitrogen deficiency with the corn. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I should have added more to my beds after they settled a little bit, um, especially come fall when I did the garlic planting and another round of potatoes and whatnot. My beds weren't quite as filled as they should have been. We'll see how that turn that, that kind of makes things turn out. So just in general, just really make sure you do your prep work correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I can get on board with that. We wanted to do um, the uh, black plastic weed barrier for our main garden this year, and we just didn't end up getting around to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that probably would have helped. I haven't decided what we want to do for next year, if we're going to try mulching it or doing black plastic but um are you talking we about like with the amount of the kits we have we definitely don't have the time to weed it all manually are you talking about in the garden beds or around the garden beds like the walking space the walking space mostly yeah yeah i put down the like the interior construction paper that brown paper and i put mulch over it and it did it it did like a 60 percent job it didn't do nearly as as well as it should have um, cause I really, I, I try not to use any type of spray period anywhere on the property. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to try to naturally take that grass down to the best of my ability. And it did, it did a fairly good job. Um, around the edges of the garden bed is where like the grass came back very fiercely. So like, I didn't have to mow the grass in between the garden beds this year, but I did have to like weed eat the edge of the garden beds because the grass was so thick. Uh, okay. Kind of yeah. like how it would be like around a like a like around a fence maybe, uh, or the side of your house. Like think of it like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We uh we were trying to weed it manually at first, and then I had a friend come over from actually he's international, but he him and his wife stopped over for a weekend, and uh, he was checking out the garden, and I was like, yeah, weeds are getting out of hand, and he's like, he's like, well, why don't you just kind of leave them be and i was like well because you're supposed to weed your garden i guess like doesn't it take nutrients from the other plants or choke them out or anything and he's he basically is of the opinion that all these plants grow together in the wild like if they're not restricting the amount of sunlight that your vegetables can get then uh really all they're doing is keeping more moisture in the soil and i was like 
well, you don't have to convince me too much to weed less. <laughs> so I ended up letting stuff go for the most part. And honestly, um, aside from the vine plants, like the squash and, and, uh, zucchini and whatnot, mm-hmm. everything did pretty decent. So yeah. I don't know if he was onto something or again, maybe it's one of those. I just feel better about it because I was weeding less. I would say that's probably very plant slash weed dependent because one of the things I wrote my corn off to this year was after I tilled, the grass didn't necessarily grow back very, very much. What happened all throughout my corn, this very weird, like mini tree looking weed grew at the same exact rate as my corn. And I tried weeding it in the beginning, but my cornfield was just too big and the weeds were, uh. were too thick. Eventually, the weeds outgrew the corn and I think affected the pollinization process from the male part of the plant falling down onto the silk, the female part of the corn, because the weeds had to essentially choked out the corn. Yeah. Because um, corn needs that that space and that ability for them to be able to po- cross-pollinate each other. Um, yeah, so... I would, say, I, basically... I would say it's probably very dependent. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And um, that's kind of what we did was we just went through the garden and the fast growing weeds, you know, the ones with thick stalks and stuff, those were the ones that we pulled. And then, uh, whenever the main base layer of weeds got taller than a few inches, I'd go through with the weed whacker and just clean those up. Um, but overall I didn't really pull anything out by the roots and I don't know. He, He's kind of like an alternative style farmer, even with his, he's got a large scale farm where mm-hmm. he lives. Um, even on his scale, he's doing things kind of the, uh, alternative way, I guess. And I don't know if he was onto something. He said that it keeps more moisture in the soil because the sun's not baking the dirt. And he said, uh, there's even some sort of nutrients that get cycled back in by these, by these weeds and you're encouraging an ecosystem. So. He definitely knew way more of the details of it than I can relay, but it didn't do as bad as I thought it would. I'll give it that. Uh, so we've talked about 2023. I'm already looking forward to 2024. and We're not even done with 2023 yet. But <laughs> what is your biggest goal for 2024? Oh, man. Um, do you have one? I'll think about mine first. I would say my biggest goal for 2024 is to tackle my corn problem. Uh, corn is such a calorie dense food and you can grow a lot of it. Um, and it's, it's kind of like I'm missing something this year, uh, based off of that. So I would say my corn, my corn is what I really want to tackle the hardest next year. Um, everything else, my peppers, tomatoes, uh, potatoes, um, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that continuing at the pace it is. Uh, the only other thing maybe that my corns would be my greens. Um, I haven't had great success with greens, like my herbs and then lettuces and stuff like that. Um, you know, over the past few years. So I'd like to hopefully have some more success with that, but corn's my big goal. Yeah. We, we actually don't do great with greens. Um, just because 
we can't stay on top of it. Like we grew lettuce last year and then it all got too mature and it starts to get, you know, kind of woody and bitter tasting. Mm -hmm. Um, so we didn't end up really consuming much of that. And then this year we did spinach instead thinking that we'd be able to stay on that on top of that better. And, uh, we just totally let that get away from us too. So my birds ate a ton of spinach, but yeah, we don't do great with the greens. We did, um, uh, we made a whole bunch of coleslaw this year because we did have uh, some of that growing, but it wasn't anything, wasn't super substantial. And it was lucky that we could kind of just leave it alone and let it do its thing because we definitely weren't on top of it. But as far as my biggest goal for next year, um, we have some cool stuff in the works. I don't really want to talk about it until we get it nailed down more. Um, so, but aside from that, I think my biggest goal would just be organizing the garden in a more efficient way. Mm -hmm. So right now we're kind of at the scale where it's not, it's not really realistic for two people to maintain the garden um, on a limited time schedule sure. because of the size of what we're doing, mm-hmm. but it's also not quite big enough to justify like, you know, spread apart rows, being able to mow in between them, mm-hmm. uh, kind of industrializing things to a degree, if you will. Sure. Yeah. So I think I want to find a way to kind of make things more efficient. I've seen some cool stuff like people having rows wide enough to have mobile chicken tractors in between them. Yeah. Uh, so they're keeping grass down, the bugs fertilizing all at the same time. We're kicking around some ideas like that, Mm -hmm. but I haven't nailed it down specifically yet. I just know kind of vaguely, um, that we want to do things more efficiently and have a better systematized approach to it. I think because we are getting to the point where it's just a little bit too much for, uh, being able to do it the old fashioned way, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely just an, an ever changing and ongoing process of fix something, make something better, make something more self reliant in a sense or self time consuming. It's just, it's homesteading is a project that never finishes. Never. I don't know anybody that has been like, all right, I'm, in a perfect state right here and I'm completely done. Like that's just, that doesn't exist. <laughs> right. It's like, I mean, it's just the type of people that get into it too. Right. Like kind of with, even with the tactical side of things, the training and the firearms and whatnot, like that's a constant, um, never ending, completely consistently evolving, uh, hobby, if you lifestyle, if you will. Um, And the homesteading side of it is the same exact way because you're just, like you said, you're never going to be content with the exact way you did it. You're going to be like, okay, I can improve in X, Y, or Z way. And if you're not that type of a person where you're willing to like pursue those improvements or to embrace those failures and try to do things different the next time around, then you're really just not going to keep homesteading you know yeah it's definitely gotta be something you enjoy um the more you put on your plate and the 
the less you actually enjoy it, the less likely you are to keep up with it, continue it, and make more out of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would you say, what, what kind of, <clears throat> kind of, as we're wrapping up here, uh, what piece of advice would you give to everyone listening who may be interested in it, you know, haven't quite taken those first steps, you know, they're kind of plotting in their head a little bit, what would you tell them? Um, if you're anything like me, don't overanalyze. Just kind of wing it, do it, get started, and learn as you go. Mm-hmm. It's not a skill set that's like something scientific that you can really um, just calculate and predict and then execute exactly. Uh, so jump in feet first and then figure it out as you go. Um, that's kind of how we've done everything on the homesteading side of things so far is I'm kind of behind schedule on each project. So I don't have the time to overthink it because I definitely will. Um, you just kind of have to do what you can with what you got at the time and then see how it turns out. Yeah, pretty much. Well, Caleb, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, not too long of an episode, short, sweet, but I think we definitely got a lot of good information in here, and hopefully we, you know, give somebody that that little push over the edge for them to get going into homesteading and whatnot. Um, you know, most of the people that listen to this podcast are of the tactical and preparedness side of things anyway. I doubt we're going to get a random garden lady listening to this podcast. Um, well, I hope so. We got to I mean, bring That would be cool, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's – it's all part of it. Plate carriers are cool. Small unit tactics is cool. Room clearing is cool. You know, all that kind of stuff. 11.5 versus 13.7 and 14.5 or 16 inch rifles. It's all, it's all cool. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, this is really the stuff that kind of matters in the long run. Right. Or at least has the biggest impact, I would say. Yeah. I mean, probably an army of guys with muskets that have plenty of food are going to do better than a, army of guys with you know modern stuff that are starving so um it's it really does come down to i know the term was overused for a little bit but sustainment like Mm -hmm. that's what got me into it was thinking i've got these guys to train with um but we're all going to be really hungry if the supply chain ever cuts out so um you gotta accept that level of responsibility and going okay Maybe this isn't the tactical, um, you know, Instagram clout earning aspect of the culture, but it's definitely, like you said, one of, if not the most important aspect of it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Caleb, thank you, sir, for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I'm super glad to be able to come on. Um, thankful for you having me. And, Uh, I love what you're doing with the podcast and with the business, and I'm really excited to see where you go with it. Well, thank you, buddy. If you guys haven't seen it yet, you guys can look down in the description. You'll find the link to Prevail Armament and then Caleb's personal page. Please go give him some love, and uh, I think that that about does it. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. That's all I've got, guys, for episode 29, Homesteading and You, part two. As always, train hard, train often. 
Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down